0: It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running
1: conservative talk show.
0: He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion.
1: He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. And he's here to say good afternoon. It is Wednesday, the 24th day of June. I hope you're having a great week so far and uh, welcome you on into another edition of Lifeline. We. Hang out here every Monday through Friday from 5 until 7 p.m., addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Coming up on tonight's program, as many states have opened, some say too early, we're beginning to now see the negative impact of all of that. So what of California? As we've seen, the largest spike here in many, many weeks. In fact, about a 69% spike in COVID-19 cases in our state in just the last two weeks. It begs the question, how is this going to impact where we are right now? And with all the labor toward opening things back up, could California be facing a second shutdown Details as we're joined by constitutional lawyer and the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dagas, Also, at any moment, the United States Supreme Court is due to rule in the case of June Medical Services. This relates to abortion restrictions in the state of Louisiana. It could be a very telling case, and perhaps the first most pivotal case before the court in relationship to the question of abortion rights. Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Life Right to Life Committee, reports coming up in tonight's program. As we lead things off, boy, we've talked much about the events of the last couple of weeks here, going on three weeks, almost four, in relationship to the tragic George Floyd killing, and the emotional racial, civil unrest that our nation has been going through. Much, I think many would suggest, is a time of reckoning for this nation, being confronted by some historic realities that we've for too long ignored and pressed down and tried to sort of sweep underneath the carpeting, as my mother would say. And uh, now the uh, proverbial chickens are coming home to roost, which was something my grandmother (laughs) would at moments like this say. So what of all of this? And the debate, of course, is broad, and it covers everything from the way the courts deal with minorities to the way the police deal with African Americans to even symbols that come from a darker time in American history and just how appropriate or inappropriate they may be in a 21st century America. Let's argue through some of these cases here and and get a little bit of historical perspective as we're joined by another constitutional lawyer. He is, of course, also a reporter, a writer, and has worked on presidential campaigns. Joining me now is constitutional lawyer Joe Murray. And Joe, great to have you with us again. Craig, great to be
0: back. I hope all is well out in sunny San Francisco.
1: Yeah, we're uh, you know, we're are keeping our what's the old saying, keeping our nose above water and two steps ahead yeah. of the uh ahead of the IRS <laughs> as best as best as we can here, although uh you know we're kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop as we see this big spike in covid-19 cases and of course yeah. the big concern is not overwhelming the hospitals so here we are practically at the end of june ready to celebrate shortly 4th of july in just a scant week and a day and we're feeling suddenly like we're thrown back to uh, to easter time all of a sudden
0: Yeah, no, it's been interesting because, you know, here in Tennessee, we have been open for business probably since the middle of May. Um, You know, I actually ventured out uh, a week ago and actually ate in a restaurant, and I felt like it was a whole new experience. (laughs) It was very (laughs) surreal. Uh, You know, who would have thought that, you know, eating at a restaurant would be one of the highlights of the month, but uh, these are the times in which
1: we live. Indeed, so my 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 house times have have certainly changed. Now you're you're working yeah. down there in in a part of the country that is perhaps mm-hmm. facing more of this consternation than we are here in California in relationship to, of course, uh, the the whole issue of um, statues dedicated to. Toward- yeah. Uh, ex-confederate leaders and so forth although california redwoods have trees named after robert e lee i understand some of that mm-hmm. signage is coming down and and here on the west coast where east coast and the south uh you know they're they're tearing down statues dedicated to confederate soldiers here it seems to be things like father Junipero serra or columbus And perhaps without regard to uh, the methodology of how these statues come down, I I guess they certainly have become um, almost firebrands or or magnets of of controversy. And it raises some interesting questions. I've seen some speculation, for example, on the Internet over the last several days saying, well... Does this, if we if we really properly want to engage in sort of a thorough cleansing and housekeeping here of a lot of these reminders of America's painful past, does it necessarily pretend to the level that, well, if you're going to do this, then listen, um, you've got the Jefferson Memorial in Washington, D.C. We know he was a slave owner. We also see his face up there along with Teddy Roosevelt, Lincoln, and Washington on Mount Rushmore. Do we drill some holes and drop in some sticks of dynamite? I guess the question is uh, twofold. Who makes these sorts of decisions when we're talking about not just a statue in a park that most people you know, don't pay much attention to, probably the pigeons <laughs> pay more attention to it than anybody else, but who, from a legal standpoint, gets to make these kinds of decisions, and is there a limit? And I, and I pose that question also in the context here, and pardon me for going on, but I pose okay. that question also in the context of... While we're addressing many painful symbols, and to a great degree rightfully so, do we run the risk of this becoming a distraction, meaning that we tear down a few statues, declare ourselves successful, pat ourselves on the back, and go back to business as usual? And certainly, as we've seen even in a post rodney king riot environment here in this country for my goodness 25 something years clearly we've got a lot of work to do so i guess i guess my question is do we run the risk if we focus in the wrong areas of not really getting down to doing the tough work that america needs to be doing in addressing many of these issues of racism and prejudice
2: Yeah, uh, a lot
0: to to digest here. Let's begin with the statues, especially the Confederate statues. Um, Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes there'll be more um, symbolism over substance when it comes to that. Um, And and what I have to make sure everybody understands is that, you know, when we talk about the Civil War, it's very easy to break it down to the dichotomy of, you know, anti-slave and slave. Um, Slavery was one component of the Civil War, no doubt about it, every historian will tell you that, but there were also other components, such as state rights and such as the economic tariffs that uh, the North was putting on the South in order to keep the manufacturing high in the North and prevent the South from getting uh, cheap foreign goods. So there was a lot at play, nullification, all of this stuff was a state rights issue. And I understand that these statues have also, over the course of the last hundred years or so, have embodied that element of slavery, because slavery was so horrific that we would do something like that here on on U.S. soil. It's such a foreign concept to so many people. But what we have to be careful of is that we are not basically cleansing our history so we don't understand what it is. Now, does that mean we have to have a statue of Robert E. Lee? No, it does not. What it means is that we still have to understand the motivations of Robert E. Lee. We just can't say, racist, bad, and we're not going to learn. Because if we do not understand how we got to Robert E. Lee, we're going to be doomed to repeat some of these same mistakes. Not talking slavery, but I'm talking about having a communication break down so horribly that we find the only way to deal with each other is to come to fisticuffs. But my main concern is not with the Confederate statues, and my former home state of Mississippi most likely taking down the Confederate flag and its state flag. I think these are long overdue. I think these are correct moves. My fear is where you were alluding to when we're talking about Jefferson and we're talking about Washington, and when we're talking about these individuals. And the reason I think this is problematic, Craig, is this, that these men were flawed men. Every man is, is, is flawed. We are all fallen. Right? We, 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 none of us are born perfect. And what we are now doing is we are viewing their actions through a 21st-century lens, and we're focusing just on the sin, and we're not focusing on some of the things that they did that helped us get to the point where we are today. We're tearing down our history, not in the sense of racial justice. I think there could be something else at play here. What we have is, I, I believe, that the first 72 hours after the horrific act of George Floyd, we had a great opportunity in this country. And that opportunity to talk about race and justice and in order to achieve equality, it was there. But now I think we're moving on to something else. It's not anti-racism, it's anti-Western. And if you look at who's being attacked and who, what statues and what, what history is being attacked, it is the, basically the history that was the foundation of the Western civilization in the United States. And what you look at who's not being attacked, because I do not say this in jest, If we are going to take on Thomas Jefferson and George Washington and Madison and all these guys for having slaves, how do we have a memorial to FDR who interned thousands of Japanese during World War II uh, just because they happened to be Japanese? Uh, We don't hear that in the media right now, because FDR, of course, was ushered in a new progressive political era in the United States. So because we're not having a principled discussion on all, everybody's ills, uh, I, I makes me believe that there could be something political going on here as well, which is unfortunate because we are squandering a great opportunity to have a great dialogue on racial relations in this country.
1: Well, and maybe part of the dialogue, to your point, needs to get down to whether or not a particular individual, almost singularly, stood as a symbol of racism and slavery. Now, certainly, Robert E. Lee, I'm sorry, folks, (laughs) (laughs) to begin with, he was on the losing side. So I I get the fact that at the time, many of these statues were erected in that part of the country. People had a sense of, well, we lost, but they were a quote-unquote hero to us, people in the South, and so they erected all of these statues. But nevertheless, he was on the losing side, and he fought to intentionally... Divide this country in half, largely over the argument that they wanted to own people. So somebody like that, that's kind of that that, that lightning rod of controversy, because that is almost singularly what they stood for. I agree. Down with the statue, melt the thing down, and, you know, turn it into scrap iron or or, or create something new out of it. But some of these others, we talk about the founding fathers. Uh, Washington, whom we know owned slaves. Um, certainly Thomas Jefferson, who not only owned slaves, but had a relationship with one of the slaves that he owned, uh, they weren't singularly known for their position in that arena. As wrong as it is, that is exactly what was kind of, quote-unquote, acceptable at the time. And I do not intend to, by any means, diminish the severity of anybody holding that kind of position. That said, when you consider somebody like Thomas Jefferson, who's a founding father who was the author largely of the declaration of independence, who was the man successful for um, negotiating the Louisiana purchase. You talk about the art of the deal, this guy in 1800 and something managed to literally double the size of the United States because of that negotiation. So I guess the question is to what degree do we wish to lean on some of these things and, 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 can we have a reasonable conversation about what would be in the excess column, meaning somebody like a Robert E. Lee, versus the guilty by association column of somebody like Thomas Jefferson, and at the end of the day recognize that some need to go, others are open up for debate, but that in all of this, we should not be distracted from doing the real work. My fear is we do what they did, for example, in Russia. We watch this on television with great interest in the days and weeks of the collapse of the former Soviet Union. Statues that had been erected to Stalin, statues that had been erected to Marx, statues that had been erected to Lenin were pulled down all across the country. Bravo for them. Horrific symbols of a terrible part of Russian history. And yet here we are, 35, 40 years later, and much of the vestiges of the pain of communism has crept back in again. And there's a despot running the country who has deep roots in communism, who is trampling on not just First Amendment rights, but certainly threatening enemies, arresting and even killing enemies, shutting down the critical press, And I have to wonder, in the enthusiasm of taking down the symbols of communism, did we accidentally leave many of the foundational pillars still in place that creates this kind of environment? And that's the question I pose tonight, Joe, from the standpoint of what we need to do here in America today. Yes, some of these symbols, I believe, need to be torn down and melted into scrap iron immediately. But in the process, let's not go so overboard that as we tear down the symbols, we leave the foundation, we leave the pillar of racism still in our nation that will allow this to continue to eat away at the very heart and soul of this country like a cancer. Because I, I think it can be argued as do we see the amount of pain being demonstrated in the streets? and as more and more white Americans are coming to the acknowledgement that we got a problem here, that at the end of the day, if we're not careful to make sure we're dealing with the root causes, this is just going to continue, and it may continue to the point where it literally tears us apart.
0: Well, and I think the problem that you're talking about is that we are getting distracted. When you are talking about, now again, I'm with you 100%, when you're dealing with uh, the relics of the Confederacy, you're right. They're losers. They've lost. They've it defended institution of slavery. Even if it wasn't completely defending and there other issues at play, that is an issue that needs to be dead and buried. But I fear that there are some forces out there, uh, some of these more uh, anarchist Marxists out there, that are using this as an opportunity to undermine Western civilization. And, and when you say, who are we paying attention to, we're paying attention now to Washington, Theodore Roosevelt. All these folks if we if we get everybody on board in believing that Jefferson, Washington, our founding fathers, were inherently evil and they created an empire nation based upon slavery and, and we basically upon repression, then that means that the entire American experiment experience was a fraud. And I think that is where a lot of people want us to go. And what I want to tell everybody that's listening tonight, Craig, is that, yes, America was involved in slavery. It was involved in the slave trade. But what people fail to realize is that Western civilization was among the last to get involved in the African slave trade and among the first to begin to abolish it. The African slave trade started with Arab merchants back in the early 600s because Muslims could not keep other Muslims as slaves, and as they moved into North Africa, they went to Central Africa to get the slavery, the slaves that many in the Middle East needed as a a sense of economic necessity. So what I tell people is that there is not a civilization that I have studied that has not engaged in slavery. That is a sin. But when you look at the West, the West has been on the forefront at ending slavery, because slavery still exists today which a lot of people don't want to talk about. It still exists today in sex trafficking and human trafficking. It is going on on a daily basis. And I fear that we're getting distracted by saying, well, we have to take down Washington. Why do we have to take down Washington? Yes, he might have owned slaves, but he and Jefferson are the reasons that we're able to have this conversation freely. If you want to know why you're able to march in the streets, like you said, thanks, Thomas Jefferson. Did he own slaves? Did he have a relationship with slaves? Absolutely. That is a sin that he has to atone for. But he also set into place one of the greatest social experiments, meaning our Constitution Bill of Rights, that has allowed this country to discuss these things and to have protest. If you want to know why you're out there protesting the street, it's Thomas Jefferson. So why take down the statue of the man that's giving you the ability to express your grievance? and that 's where I worry that we 're trying to move from anti uh, anti racism to anti western and and this is going to be a squandered opportunity because now more than ever we should be having a stir, a stern conversation on race and instead we 're talking about statues and, and that well and, and, and,
1: and, and to put this in perspective to put this in perspective. Joe here in San Francisco in in Golden Gate Park just over the past weekend uh I heard that of course they went in and intentionally removed uh, the uh, the statue of Columbus up at Coit Tower there the yeah. rotunda area where you drive and park and right. then in Golden Gate Park they 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 attempted to tear down a statue of Ulysses S Grant. Yeah. And I thought, Grant, why are they going after Grant to to begin with? Grant came after the Civil War, and Grant Mm -hmm. fought on behalf of the Union. Mm -hmm. He, in fact, fought to lead forces against the Confederacy and against slavery. So why are you tearing down his statue? And, And it says to me, somebody saw the name Ulysses S. Grant and thought, oh, he must be one of the bad ones too, and went to tear down his statue, not realizing... Hey, guys, he's on our side. So it shows that some of this is just being done in, in, in not a spirit of wanting to make the proper statement about slavery, but in, in a destructive fashion where somebody out there doesn't fully know their history.
0: There's a lot. I mean, over and I And I'll give them a pass because it's over in the U.K., but they defaced the statue to Abraham Lincoln over there. Uh, and, 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 and that's what okay. I'm fearing is this mob mentality. And I don't mean mob in a derogatory, but in the sense that if it's a statue, it must be bad, uh, you know, and, and we must engage in this kind of somewhat rioting uh, and, and destructive behavior. And, and that's what is really upsetting is that, you know, I can't fathom the amount of pain and grief in, in, in the African-American community. I can't, and I'm not going to say I do, and I understand that reaction. But I think when you look at the areas that have been hit, Minneapolis, I think the, the number of homes for sale in that city have jumped almost 20%. Uh, we are now we are squandering this opportunity to fund the police. This is not a movement. I think. I think many people in the inner cities would not want to defund the police. Do we have to reform the police? Absolutely. I think it. You know, I went You know, I've had many cases against police departments, and I've seen where police officers are human, just like the rest of us. Even if they're not being nefarious with their intent, you make mistakes, and I think the liability is a is a, is a legitimate concern that we want to kind of get away with. Quali- you know, reform qualified immunity, and for your audience, that means that a police officer cannot be held personally liable in an act in official duty unless there was malice, meaning he did it deliberately. So there is a lot that we can talk about. And know what bothers me, Craig, is that every night I turn on whether it's MSNBC, CNN, or Fox News, we're not talking about the issues. We're talking about the, the the really extremes of it. We're talking about tearing down Andrew Jackson in Lafayette Square. We're talking about totally abolishing police departments. We're talking about this form of social experimentation that is not going to help us get to the root issues of racism. It's not going to help us empower people. Because that's the thing. Yes, we can identify the problem, but let's talk about how we're going to empower black business owners in the in the inner cities instead of burning down their businesses let's say can we get any type of tax cuts grants loans let's get these businesses up and running let's support minority owned businesses let's get into entrepreneurship and lift these communities up because at the end of the day Craig the only color of privilege in this country i believe is green uh, it is great, well, and, 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 and you're right.
1: And 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 you know, if if we're if we're not having a dialogue about educational and economic parity, not just opportunity but parity, um, and, and we're not wrestling through ways in which we can dismantle institutionalized racism, I mean, I, I get the notion that there's frustration with the police department. I had a conversation with a uh, dear partner in ministry and broadcaster on this radio station whom everybody knows and loves, yesterday, and he talked about some of his encounters and experiences as an African-American dealing with the police department or dealing with detectives and 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 how wrong those those engagements were because he was being targeted for no other reason than the color of his skin. We need to have that discussion about why does that happen and how do we stop it as opposed to saying well the answer is just shut down the whole police department defund the police well what exactly does that mean and then as you point out if we're going to start to to take that approach do we wind up distracting ourselves from the real work at hand and certainly from a from a christian perspective so much of this is out of the well of of sin and separation from god and the need to bring this nation back to a sense of, of righteousness and respect for life and each other and if instead we're fighting over what statues go and which ones stay and again I agree there's a good percentage of them particularly back in the south and the east that probably need to go without a doubt but let's not allow ourselves to become so distracted by this because you know what the enemy Joe will use that and get us fighting with each other over whether or not we need to be sandblasting or uh, some face off of Mount Rushmore when we're not doing the real hard work of dealing with the reality that racism in this country exists.
0: Yeah, and what bothers me is when we've been talking about Teddy Roosevelt, and you're right, there is a complete historical deficit in this country, and part of that is on the public education system. You know, everybody was assuming that Teddy Roosevelt was a racist or or if you had racist views. Nobody understands that Teddy Roosevelt was the first U.S. president to invite an African-American to dine with him in the White House, and that is Booker T. Washington. Nobody understands that when Teddy Roosevelt initially said, let me send that invitation to Mr. Washington, or Booker T. Washington, he initially paused and he thought, ooh, is this a good move to do because of the color of his skin? And he wrote that the moment he had that thought, he told his aide, send this invitation now. I am ashamed that I even had that thought. This man deserves to be in the White House. And, and and that is what we're missing is that yes we had bad parts of our history. Every nation, every civilization has those parts but what you do is you don't judge the people or the nation by its sin, you judge it by its redemption or attempt at redemption. And this nation has attempted to redeem itself from the from the past, and not just with slavery. We have Native Americans who were put on reservations. We have the failure of our education system in the schools. I mean, that's the big thing. Let's talk about school choice. Why should these kids be stuck in failing school districts just because of their zip code? There's so many things we could be discussing right now Craig, that would, would address systematic racism, and we're not, which is why I think it's just so frustrating for so many people that are sitting there. It's it basically become such a polarized us versus them mentality that there's no way to compromise because we have the extremes on both sides pulling us. And I do think there is a silent majority in there, but it's not a political one. It's one that wants to have common sense solutions. And I don't know what's going to happen in November because I don't see either side right now giving us common-sense solutions. I see Joe Biden trying to appease those on the left. I see Donald Trump trying to throw more red meat to those on the uh, right. And when you can't even get a a police reform bill passed in the Senate with bipartisan support or even have people come to the table, our country is broken. And it goes a lot deeper than racism. And something has got Uh, to uh, give, Craig. Something uh, has got to give.
1: you you're absolutely right and 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 I and I share your surprise when when I saw that there had been uh negative comments about uh, Teddy Roosevelt I thought well I, are they confusing him with FDR no they can't be doing that so what do they think and and you know not recognizing that this guy was on the cutting edge uh albeit perhaps primitive but for the time when you consider we're talking the turn of the century not the last one but the one before that and yet here taking the bold step to, for the very first time, invite a former slave to come to the White House and sit at the president's table and have dinner together and have a discussion and have dialogue, Uh, that was groundbreaking. And maybe instead of wishing to um, take pot shots at Teddy Roosevelt, we need to look at that as an example and say, you know what? we need to come to the dinner table together and maybe COVID-19 in a practical fashion sort of makes that challenging at the moment. But I think in a very real way, and we talked about this uh, on the program last night, in a very real way, we need to sit down and have true, honest conversation and dialogue. We need to hear each other out, not attempt to cry and defend our positions, but just explain where we're coming from And I think particularly it will be valuable for white Americans to understand the experience of colored, not only in the arena of black Americans, but Asian Americans and uh, Latino Americans, Hispanics, uh, all people of color, to understand the challenges that they have gone through trying to make life here in America and see what we can do to address these issues of racism at the institutional level root them out at the spiritual level, come and reason together, and make some serious progress. And if we allow ourselves to be distracted by the stuff that gets all the headline news going, then sadly, I believe, we're going to end up becoming a carbon copy of the former Soviet Union. Tear down a few statues, shoot a few fireworks off, have a party or two, and then back to business as usual. And that, I'm afraid would mark perhaps the end of this nation as we know it joe murray constitutional lawyer writer and reporter joe i always appreciate uh addition of dirt with you as they say and and uh, iron sharpening iron thanks so much for joining us tonight amen have a wonderful week greg all right you too there's joe murray as we take a time out let's get you caught up on some traffic we're way late as joel will attest to so let's see what's going on traffic wise And now
0: back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: All right, welcome back to the Constitutional Lawyer Night here on <laughs> this Wednesday edition of Lifeline. Joining us next, our dear friend, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute and constitutional lawyer, Brad Dakis. Counselor, great to have you with us tonight. Let's unpack a number of things. First off, let's talk a bit about what's happening in the news. We are seeing a significant spike in COVID-19 cases in many key states Florida Arizona Oklahoma Texas sadly our own California the governor reporting that in just a 48 hour period of time there I'm sorry a two-week period of time there's a 69 percent spike all of this of course raising questions about are we going to begin to close back down what we've been working so hard to open back up and and how if at all Will this impact churches in our state who are still struggling with just the opening phase of all this?
3: Yeah, it's very concerning, and we're going to be talking about this uh, in detail on our uh, Zoom call tomorrow, Thursday, at uh, 2 p.m., and people can register at our website, uh, pji.org, pastors, church leaders. But um, I I think the first first observation is, is very concerning. In that there's an increase, dramatic increase in the number of tests being run, so that explains the increase in reported number of cases of, with who uh, have COVID-19. Uh, What's not being reported, though, is that in actuality, um, many of the hospitals actually are re- reducing their number of people hospitalized. Some say it's because the COVID-19 is becoming weaker, and it looks like there's uh, multiple studies to validate that from the UK, China, and the United States and Italy. Um, but also the fatality rate is going, is going down, uh, considerably. So, uh, I, it's, there's many who are saying, saying this is a red herring, the fact that there are increased case numbers because it's, uh, they, they correlated actually with the uh, increase in, in testing. That said, there's a good chance there's going to be some, um, you know, efforts to try to rein in, uh, religious freedom again, uh, even more dramatically than, um, than what we have right now. Uh, Pulling us back, and we at Pacific Justice are very concerned about that, Craig. Uh, And we are, uh, you know, giving counsel to to churches and pastors. Uh, I believe that they're going to be safe as far as outdoor services, uh, safe as far as drive-in services. Outdoor services because of the the fact that uh, we've had lots of protests and demonstrations, and it's very hypocritical for the government to prosecute a church having an outdoor service safely with safe distancing. Uh, Indoor services could be more problematic, and we're going to be working with uh, churches depending on where they're located and what their law enforcement uh, is saying and what they'll enforce and what they actually will, uh, will enforce and won't enforce.
1: So this is going to be sort of a continuing minefield to negotiate, it sounds like, for some time to come. I mean, as much as there's been a a little progress in terms of opening things back up, particularly in trying to um, address the, the, the lack of, shall we say, parity when it comes to what types of gatherings are permissible and which ones aren't, and then at the end of the day, if we see this uh, ongoing spike, uh, the chance of them trying to ratchet things back down again, uh, which must have some people wondering, well, my goodness, then at this point, where, where do we see the light at the end of the tunnel?
3: Yeah, it's very concerning. Also, from an economic perspective, this state can simply not bear, bear to be uh, shut down again. Uh, I get the wearing masks in enclosed places. I, I totally understand that. Uh, where that's coming from and for businesses that are enforcing that. But uh, as far as, you know, shutting down businesses, shutting down churches, uh, it's going to be extremely problematic. Uh, we've already heard um, reports that the governor is planning on uh, pushing legislation to shut down all charter schools in order to save money for the state. And, of course, the teachers' unions would love that. Um, and so, there's, so we're already suffering economically. And um, and we're really, really concerned about uh, who the governor is going to uh, try to, uh, uh, you know, observe, force absorb those economic losses like charter schools and parental rights uh, moving forward.
1: I guess the other question we have is that certainly some of the public behavior has been less than stellar. Uh, States that opened up early seemed as if they just completely forgot we were in the middle of a global pandemic and people running around without um, observing the social distancing guidelines or the use of masks, things of this sort. Uh, With the the current statewide order, um, how enforceable is that? And is the government or the state, rather, in a position to turn around and say, not only are we going to require that you wear masks, but if you don't, there will be penalties? And and, and might that be one compromise? Because, again, you know, it, we, we just can't shelter in place and completely freeze in position. Uh, there'll be, you know, there'll be nothing left to return to. But that, instead, may be a little bit better due diligence in the areas that we can control, might go a long way. I'm thinking toward at least returning back to some sense of normalcy, while at the same token, recognizing that we still have this pandemic to deal with.
3: Right, and, and you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, there's, there's definite extremes on both sides. I think people understand that this mask requirement, uh, it's not applicable if you're outdoors and you have safe distancing between you and and other people. So people don't need to be wearing a mask all the time outdoors, and uh, also those. Of a medical condition, if they get a letter from a doctor saying they don't that a mask is not recommended, uh, that's respected, people who are deaf, that's respected and and we need to recognize uh, from a health perspective, there are people uh, that are you know the human body pays a toll there is a, it does take a a hit when we wear a mask all the day all all day long with the CO2 and the impact on the respiratory uh, tract um, you know that's that's not unknown it's it's very very clear. So I think that people need to look at their personal situation, maybe get a letter from a doctor if they need it. Um, understand that uh, that uh, it's it's not an absolute all the time, uh, because there is a, a medical cost to people when they wear wear the mask, particularly for long periods of time. Um, there needs to be a, a working that out for individuals to uh, uh, to weigh that risk as we before But, but uh, yeah, but people cooperating, especially in enclosed places, uh, doing all that we can that's definitely um, going to play a role in, in um, minimizing this but right now we don't have a, 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 a massive spike in deaths we don't have a spike uh, in hospitalizations overall in the state we do have it it is increasing it's not decreasing um, and um, so people need to I think also keep in its proper uh, perspective and uh, and there's it, it doesn't at this point justify uh, shutting you know more shutdowns and uh, we just simply could not bear it. Suicide rate is increasing uh, dramatically because of the shutdowns. Uh, a threefold increase in one one area, 800 percent increase in L.A. County of uh, reported uh, suicide calls. Uh, so we're we're seeing already a, the, the price being paid out. Um, a pastor I talked to today, he had three members of his church basically now are terminally ill um, because they have stage four cancer, and three months ago it could have saved their life. Uh, so these delays. Uh, to people for cancer checkups, physical exams, that's going to have a huge cost um, as well. So we need, really need to balance it out both economically as well as mentally and medically as, as well.
1: The uh, Zoom conference call again will be tomorrow. Information and registration available on the web at Pacific Justice. Institute's website pji.org. That's pji.org, and of course, this special uh, webinar for pastors, no cost or obligation. You do know you did need to uh, register, though, in advance. pji.org. Our thanks to constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dakis, for that update. Five fifty on the clock. Time for an update on traffic.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: All right, welcome back to the conversation. There is a very critical and significant Supreme Court decision coming our way, not to say that we already haven't seen a few of those. Um, It was speculated this might be in by Monday. Today's Wednesday, no news yet, but it is coming. It is the case of June Medical Services in relationship to a Abortion Restriction Law in Louisiana. The High Court has had this case since February of 2019. Please note it is now nearly the end of June 2020. And um, as the Supreme Court prepares to issue, this will be the first major ruling in the Trump era of a abortion rights case. And uh, this could be a critical and pivotal one, as we get more details now from Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director of the National Right to Life Committee and the host of Life Matters, heard Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX. And and, and Brian, some say, well, um, hasn't the court in recent years already heard a similar case out of Texas? And indeed it has. And of course, I guess that's what makes this second potential ruling so critical, and that is whether or not they will mimic The decision in the Texas case? Or will this be something new? And how will this perhaps um, give us a sense of what the future of this high court may actually look like in relationship to the abortion question?
2: Well, Craig, you're exactly right. This is uh, revisiting the issue of if an abortionist has to have the ability to take a woman to the hospital, to have operating privileges, because, as you and I know, and people who really know what abortion's about, it's an incredibly invasive procedure. By its nature, it is dangerous to the mother. And that's been ignored by the media. It's been ignored. It's used when they talk about illegal abortions. But all that the Roe and Doe regimen did is it brought this very dangerous procedure indoors. And it's extremely difficult. And so what we have found is that it's not uncommon for complications. And so what the Texas law had required would be, and the Louisiana law, is that if you're going to do abortions, you have to have the ability to fix it, to cause a problem. And very often if these clinics don't, then the women die. There are complications. It's a very, they can, they can have other complications than death as well. So what we're concerned about, and I think any court watcher, Craig, is looking at, the Chief Justice. And he has been a bit of a mystery. Part of the problem is, as the Chief Justice, he almost intentionally has set himself in the middle. And what that does, if you look back, even Justice Rehnquist did that to some degree, But not to the degree that Judge Roberts is doing. When you're a Chief Justice, you get to assign who writes the opinions. And if you side with one side as opposed to the other, that allows you to write the opinions. And so, in a sense, he is herding cats. We have to recognize that. But some of these decisions we've seen where the chief justice has landed has been—it's been odd. The fact that they're revisiting the Texas principle, essentially the same law, might indicate that they'd want to come down on our side. They didn't last time. Again, I want to remind folks this is not dispositive of Roe versus Wade. This isn't somewhat, uh, somewhat a a, a an aspect of abortion, but it's not going to ban abortion in any way. So we'll see the media try to hype this. For me, it's really an indicator of where is the chief justice. And we've seen already the chief justice make decisions that were deeply alarming. We initially knew he was going to, we heard that he was going to vote against Obamacare, and yet he was the one that ended up writing in support of it. And um, then we know that last year that the a very scary thing happened, I think, politically, and we're seeing some of that. A threat of, of violence from, from Mr. Schumer in the Senate, saying that there were going to be repercussions on the abortion issue, that the justices, and that was Kavanaugh and, and Roberts, and that they better watch out what they do, because it could have problems which was a form of threat, and what I did appreciate is is the Chief Justice actually publicly said, we're not going to be threatened. But the fact is, is we know a lot of the politics going on at the national level really ultimately is about unlimited abortion and the overturning of Roe and Doe, and it doesn't get enough attention, but that's that's really a subtext is that Will abortion rights, unlimited abortion rights, continue to be the law of the land? And um, personally, I think a lot of the social upheaval we're seeing really is aimed at preventing this president from being reelected. And from the court going any further towards protecting human babies, the real unknown is Justice Roberts. So it's, we're going to see what happens. going to be in the next couple of weeks.
1: But and in, court, in your estimation, yeah. uh, Brian, do you see any real significant difference in terms of the facts that are before the high court um, that may impact this ruling one way or another in a different fashion than the Texas law? And we know in the case of the, the Hellerstadt case, they ruled 5-3 to strike down that Texas law that had required, as you suggested at the onset, that abortion-performing doctors be authorized to admit patients to a nearby hospital, which I think is a very natural, normal, reasonable protection, given the fact that women's lives are at risk when they're on the table having that kind of procedure. So I'm wondering in in the court's decision to, I mean, typically if a case is identical, it's like, well, what what's the point? Why 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 sort of you know um, go go through the process of uh, of of arguing a case again? So it would seem to me then. There must be something different about the Louisiana case that they didn't see in the Texas case that's compelled them to revisit this issue.
2: Well, that's exactly right. That's why this is such a mystery, and this is why Chief Justice Roberts is such a mystery. He's a cipher. He's the unknown element in this. And uh, he, he is willing to push back against these open threats. Again, Senator Schumer has been outlandish and some of the things he has said, but the fact that the chief justice pushes back is good. But we still see him kind of moving to the mushy middle. So it, this is a real, very, a very, very interesting case, and you hit the nail on the head. They're revisiting the same issue, and that's not a common thing to happen. So it's going to tell us a lot. It may not be, like as I said, you shouldn't. I know that the major media is going to make this about Roe v. Wade. And, Bold, and it's not, really. If anything, it nibbles. It's, it nibble. If they come our way, it's, it's a nibble. And if anything, a straw in the wind where the court is going. If they simply overturn the Louisiana law as well, then that, the question is, why did they even take it up? So there's something you know, and, strange and, and, going on.
1: And what's interesting about this, as you point out, is this will be as telling as the direction of the new court as it will be, perhaps, the the future direction of Chief Justice Roberts, who seemingly, from what at least we've witnessed over the last couple of weeks kind of feels like he's moving into that swing uh, vote position that was once occupied by uh, Anthony Kennedy, who, of course, had been a Reagan appointee and could almost be guaranteed to vote on the uh, the, the liberal side of the equation as he would be on a so-called conservative side. Uh, so if, if Chief Justice Roberts is the new swing vote on the Supreme Court, could we be in for some more surprises? Well,
2: exactly. So this is an amazing moment in history we're living in on so many levels. But clearly our Supreme Court, the way it has been functioning, is it's kind of been the supreme tribunal. I don't think constitutionally it was designed to be that way, but that is how we've devolved at the current time. That's where it is. So this is a very interesting moment, and as you pointed out, it could have come down on Monday, maybe next Monday. But we're seeing an extraordinary an extraordinary amount of pressure on the chief justice and it's just hard to say which which ways don't we don't like i'll be honest with you don't like some of the things he's done and that's unfortunate but the fact that this case is back on the docket as you pointed out in the case well maybe they they want to tweak it and 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 let these women have more protection from abortion. So. Well, we'll
1: certainly uh, hope and pray that that's going to be the case. And, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of now with bated breath waiting on this decision. As I indicated, there had been great speculation that it would be handed down as soon as Monday. Well, Tomorrow's Thursday, so we'll we'll certainly keep you posted as we get more information. And uh, once the decision is handed down, Brian will, uh, will circle back around um, if it happens prior to our, our usual weekly visit. Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee, uh, he'll no doubt have more to say on this pivotal topic coming up on the Saturday edition of Life Matters. That comes your way Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX. So we invite you to make a point to tune in and check that out. And, of course, you can get more information about Brian's work and the work of the California chapter of the National Right to Life Committee by going to californiaprolife.org. That's californiaprolife.org. 604, let's get caught up on traffic right now for you from the KFAX Traffic Center.